Welcome to Songs and Tales, a podcast where we delve too greedily and too deep into the world of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Aaron. And I'm Clara, and we will be the hammers of the underworld who guide you on this journey. Grand, 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 <laughs> grand, grand. It's very silly how excited I am that grand is making an appearance. Before we started recording, Clara reminded me of the fact that Grand is the name of the battering ram in Return of the King. Yeah, and Grand is one of those things that I truly love, like the lineage of. <laughs> I, like, I'm sorry, I could care less about like the sword of the West, the flame of the West, whatever. You just want Aragorn's a big dumb hammer. Sword is, but Grand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if there's one thing I understand, it's beating your head against something until <laughs> a change is made. And uh, I guess I just really identify with Grand. But yes, yeah. I love Grand. I love that we're talking about Grand today. We'll probably give you a little context about how Grand comes into the picture and what Grand actually is. Because uh, in this context, it is not a battering ram. No, um, it's a baby battering ram. Yeah, and it does a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to say he, <laughs> like personifying Grand. <laughs> I mean, it's like two 1d10s at least. It's a lot of damage. Yeah, it's a ton of bludgeoning damage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if we're talking in D&D terms. Which apparently we are. Yeah, bludgeoning damage. There's probably some persistent bleed going on. Who even knows? Spire's fear, maybe. Creates some difficult terrain, which mm-hmm. slows you down. Yep. Yeah. No yeah. one likes no one likes having only half their uh, movement speed in combat. No, I gotta move the full twenty five feet. That's right. I'll tell you what, it really did uh, a number on Fingelfin. Yes, it did. Yeah. Uh, despite well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about get, this this we'll battle, this showdown, if you will. But yeah, this week we are. Well, you're only doing one chapter. One chapter. Can you believe it? Do you feel cheated? You shouldn't. You it just absolutely. means we're going to be better at this one chapter. Were you going to say they folks. should feel cheated? You said it. <laughs> no, I was not going to oh, okay. say that. Just remember that Aaron just told you that this is going to be great. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> well, you know what? Through the power of editing, Clara, I can remove this entire segment. If it ends up being a disaster, he can. Um, I always forget that Aaron does hold all the power in this relationship. <laughs> I try not to abuse it. Well, I, a mere mortal. <laughs> yeah, I'm the the elf to your people of yeah. Bayor. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I'm slightly older than you, so I guess it works. It's true. Older, wiser, taller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More Checking ethereal. all those elf boxes. Definitely more ethereal. You mm-hmm. do have sort of a glow about you. <laughs> oh boy. You and you love to wear robes. Like long, shimmering robes, I've noticed. You mm-hmm. really uh the number of times Aaron has shown up at my house on a like wintry day in a long shimmering robe instead of a coat really elven elven uh wardrobe anyway (laughs) anyway 
anyway, Aaron, yes. do you want to give us, us a synopsis of what the heck is going on sure. in this chapter? So this is chapter 18 for those of you who are following along at home. This is yep. of the ruin of Balerion and the fall of Finkelfin. Wow. Spoilers. I was gonna say that, that yeah. title really says it all, doesn't well, it? Well, I thought maybe Finkelfin like tripped. And yeah, on that difficult terrain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in a way he does. Uh, yeah. Well, he gets tired. Yeah, I, I know. I think. Poor guy. Poor baby. Anyway, so we actually open with Fingolfin, who we're reminded once again is King of the Noldor. Um, yep. And he's thinking again about assaulting Angband uh, because he feels like it's the only way to break this siege that's been going on for a long time now. So it's end of threat. Says, Aaron says Angband like he's from not the Midwest. <laughs> Meanwhile, I always say Angbad. <laughs> I just leave out the end completely. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm trying to vary our regional specific dialect here. So I will be, I will continue to say Angband. That's fine. And he will say Angban, Angban, which sounds like a Swedish metal band. Yeah, that's right. There probably is, anyway, there probably is one, surely. Um, they probably have a song called Grand Hammer of the Underworld. <laughs> So yeah, That's he's right. uh, he's thinking about assaulting Morgoth's keep, essentially. Um, but most of the Noldor are like, we shouldn't do that because things are kind of nice. There's peace. Yeah. The green, the, how green is my valley? It's pretty fucking green. Yeah, really say. green. Uh, most of them. There are a few that agree with him, but most of them say, ah. So they don't, decide... Don't poke the bear. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all know that. Don't tug on Superman's cape. That's correct. I fucking hate that song. I'm not putting in an audio cue for that. Ah. We're kind of told essentially that like no matter what he does here, things are going to end poorly. Mm-hmm. Like whether he attacks now or whether he waits, like the end seems to be the same. And then we're, we probably learn, of course, that Morgoth begins his own assault. That's right. But he also moves too early, mm-hmm. we're told, to totally defeat the Noldor. But he does, uh, does a lot of damage. He burns the fields of Ard- Ardgalen. And uh, we're told that many of the Noldor burned to death in the fields as uh, they're ablaze, uh, which is extremely metal. Um, also, must have smelled horrible. That's right. Just a lot of burning <laughs> hair. Flesh. Just a lot of hair. We know how much long hair the elves have. Yeah. No beards, though. That's true. I'm not going to wade into that controversy. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are not. We're not ready. As a we know though. that elves can't grow beards. I have a book has Tolkien's notes saying that they do not. <laughs> Don't yeah. add us. I mean, actually, you can. Not about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, don't. You can. Yeah, don't. <laughs> anyway. Uh, we also have the return of our former baby dragon, who's now a big Glaurung. boy dragon. Glaurung he's is. He's all grown up. He is. He's, uh, he's finished high school. Yep. He's got his little letterman jacket on. And he That's swoops right. in. He's we're, we're literally told he's in his full glory, essentially. Amazing. A hell of an intro. I want someone to say that about me sometime. Um, he also brings a bunch of Balrogs with him. Seems bad. Yeah, pretty bad. Um, and then we have the Battle of the Sudden Flame. And also there's a literal horde of orcs uh, pouring in behind them. Yeah, so it's no good, folks. No, it's, it's bad. In fact, it's probably as bad as it's going to get. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. 
Um, so this basically breaks the siege, not in the way that uh, Finglefin <laughs> intended, clearly. Yep. Um, and we're told that, you know, Morgoth's foes are scattered, they're sundered, there's a lot of sundering, a lot of scattering. They're fleeing to various fortresses and gapes and little sort of glens and hidey holes all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. But the elves and men do fight side by side, including those of the House of Beor. Uh, Bregolus dies, which is a whole thing for Felagund. There's kind of a little bromance there, maybe. There's some rings yeah. exchanged. Yes. Right. Oh, don't forget that ring. Mm-hmm. Don't that ring? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you what. That ring. <laughs> Clara like, just waggled her glasses. Just that I wanted, ring, I wanted to know like that. the one ring. It's gonna fucking stick around. Really. Yeah, just you wait. Just you wait. I didn't realize this the first time I read this or the second time I read this. Like, it just kind of hit me this third time reading this. Like, what that ring actually is, I will not spoil it. But it okay. once it clicks, it's not going to click for you when you're reading The Silmarillion, I don't think. But it probably will when we're reading the trilogy. So that's just something to keep in mind. Okay. It's in the trilogy. The ring is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Is it Aragorn's ring? Maybe. Oh my God. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Any event, he gets a ring. He, he gets, gets a, a ring. He gets a ring. Yeah, they definitely have a bromance. And yeah. we know this right in the chapter where Beor shows up. Like he automatically is, is like smitten with Finrod, mm-hmm. right? Uh, swears allegiance to his house is like I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. So they really are kind of this nice display of elves and men getting along, being buds, bros, etc. Mm-hmm. So Continue. yeah, so there's just a lot of battle in this chapter. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to list all of them. And all nope. the fighting and all the groups that are fighting. Um, it is a mother flipping ballroom blitz. Ballroom blitz. That's right. And pretty soon, uh, Fingolfin looks around and he thinks, well, this is the end of the Noldor, um, which is a fair response to looking around at what's happening. Correct. I mean, kind of correct, kind of not. I mean, no, I think it's a fair assessment, maybe, but not yeah, accurate. I think it leaves out the fact that, like, you know, there's a, several women <laughs> oh yeah uh who have traveled with them <laughs> who presumably are not participating in this battle well, um but yeah, uh, you know i guess they don't count <laughs> yeah what are they doing they're like playing dulcimers somewhere probably okay. i mean or recovering from being pregnant because tolkien does make it a point to say that it takes a really long time for elf women to recover from pregnancy so that's why we don't hear from them a lot (laughs) really yeah wow wild anyway anyway it is is a fair assessment i'm just saying Mm -hmm. you know maybe if he hadn't been in the heat of battle and thought about it he could uh have had a little bit of a clearer clearer picture of what was going on well, I think that's part of it because his his next move is to just charge the gates of of Morgoth's <laughs> fortress and challenge him to single combat. Yeah, and now Aaron is definitely afraid to say Aang Band. 
no. <laughs> because he does keep saying Morgoth's fortress. Mm. But yeah, he does charge the gates of Angband. <sighs> yeah, he charges, he challenges Morgoth. Uh, and this is, mm. we're told, the last time that Morgoth emerges from his keep. His own hidey hole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually takes the field. Yep. So it's like, um, you know, Barry Bonds last at bat. Right <laughs> That's right. Um, and someone's about to get crushed. <laughs> so I, I bet you can guess who. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's reluctant, though. He doesn't want to come out. No nope. fight. And we're told that he alone among the Valor felt fear, which we will talk about mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. But that's a big, big point of this, this battle that's about to happen. Um, and then there's this showdown. Finkelfin, we're told, warns, uh, wounds Morgoth seven times. And yes. Morgoth howls in pain seven times, which is a cute little detail. Yep. And Morgoth wounds F- Finkelfin thrice. thrice. So three and seven for thinking of numbers. We could. There's a lot Three of and seven are always a little significant, uh-huh. I think. And there's a lot of threes and sevens. There's also a 12 at one point in this chapter, which is another significant number. Yes. So. All, your, all our numerology fans out there, perk up your little ears. Yes, and tell us, because I numerology confuses me. It's too much like math and prophecy. That's correct. <laughs> Neither of which I understand. No, uh, both baffling to me. I am neither a mathematician nor a prophet. That's correct. Um, so Figglefit's kind of darting around, slashing at him, wounds him. And Morgoth's trying to hit him with, with his hammer of the underworld. He keeps missing. He smashes the ground. There's a big divot. Um, but Fingelfin finally gets kind of worn out of bouncing around. And Morgoth ultimately prevails. He like smushes him with his shield a couple times. And then he steps on his throat, essentially. And yes. Finishes but, him off. And, but not before Fingelfin does deal Morgoth yes. one last blow on his foot. He never walks the same after. Maims him, and he always <laughs> he has a limp. Has a bit of a limp. He has a limp. Yep. And then they're gonna defile the body, and mm-hmm. the king of eagles comes down and once again swoops in, saves the day, and bears Fingelfin's body off to the encircling mountains where Turgon builds him a cairn. That's correct. And we're told that the orcs are afraid to pass it until That's the right. fall of Gondolin. That's right. So it sort of wards off Morgoth's servants for a time. It's definitely haunted, Mm -hmm. but in a a good way. That's right. (laughs) Uh, We also have Sauron. He shows up. Yeah. Uh, We've only really kind of heard of him before for the most part, but here we actually kind of get him doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, He seems like he's worse than Morgoth. He's always corrupting things and twisting things. And yeah, Sauron in the Silmarillion is actually cooler, I think, than Sauron in. Oh, yeah the trilogy which i think we can talk about when we discuss morgoth a little bit uh yeah 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 sauron's like pretty metal at this point he is yeah yeah um but he already has some of his uh trilogy traits he loves sitting in his towers watching Mm -hmm. folks yep he's a peeper And not a leaf peeper. No, not the good he's like kind. the kind of like peek through the blinds, heavy breathing peeper. He's like rear windowing, <laughs> peeping. Where does a man take a suitcase <laughs> in the middle of the night? It's Jimmy Stewart, everybody. Yes, Sauron. Let me tell you about my one ring. Um. Yes, uh, he. Yeah. I'm looking at the description of him now. 
Sure. Um, Tolkien writes, Sauron was become now a sorcerer of dreadful power, master of shadows. We talked about shadows last time. We did. And of phantoms, foul in wisdom, cruel in strength, misshaping what he touched, twisting what he ruled, lord of werewolves. His dominion was torment. So definitely... It's yeah, it's very cool. I'm sorry. It's my new that's my new LinkedIn bio. His dominion was torment. My dominion is torment. Um but yeah, we definitely see like this description. We have some of these traits that again pop up in the trilogy, like mm-hmm. you said, master of shadows and of and of phantoms, misshaping what he touched, twisting what he ruled, and his dominion being torment. I mean, really, what does the t- ring do to anybody? It just torments them uh and then you know they get all twisted like Gollum or sauron Mm -hmm. um and we know that he also is kind of like a master of torture right he tortures Gollum in the Mm. uh, pits of baradur and etc etc so yes we definitely see some a little sneak preview of what's to come in the trilogy but unfortunately for the trilogy, it's actually way cooler. Where are the werewolves in Lord of the Rings? I would like to know that. I don't have an answer for him. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. If anyone does, <laughs> please tell me. Yeah, so Sauron shows up. He's very cool, very deadly. Um, unfortunately, we also have the arrival of uh, the Swarthy Men. Ooh, yeah. yeah not great. Yeah, not great, Tolkien. No. We can't endorse um, that one. No, no, it's not good. Um, we're also just told more generally that like men are migrating westward in large numbers now. Yeah. Um, so this migration that began with Bayor is kind of accelerating, it sounds like, and it seems like not all of them are like Bayor in ways that we maybe will talk about that are complicated. Yeah, not all, and not all the no. swarthy men are characterized as faithless, which is kind of how Tolkien, you know, either does or does not describe them. The problem is he yeah. feels the need to describe them as being swarthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few uh, other further details that are not great. That's correct. Which we could have left out and just said, you know, these men came from the East. Right. Some were faithless, some were not. Let's leave the physical descriptions out of it. I, well, yeah, no, I, I mean, Tolkien could have done that. I have a theory about why. It happens that way, but we can talk about that later if you want. Racism? We don't have to. Well, yes, but in a more specific sense. We can talk about it. We don't have to. Um, um and basically, I mean, yeah, I mean, essentially, like we're told that there's like a seven-year waiting period, essentially, where mm-hmm. Morgoth is rebuilding his forces and everyone else is kind of waiting around. There's like a peace sort of, but it's not a very stable one. Yeah, and like everything's bad. Everyone's yeah. scattered. I think like several episodes ago now I said like the book is sad. Everything's kind of sad and bad in Valerian. Sad bad. Sad and bad in Valerian. The kingdom of sad bad. <laughs> um and this is kind of where it all starts. Yeah. Everyone gets scattered to the four winds. Uh kingdoms are broken. People are displaced, uh, Mm -hmm. just wander. I mean, they're just described as they're just wandering in like very desolate lands. Um, Yeah, we learn that some places are not 
totally touched Osirian um where the green elves live mm-hmm. is not really affected south like the south part of Beleriand is not totally impacted but for the most part everything between Doriath and Angband is um kind of treacherous at this yeah. point That's and we learned that kind of the only places that are truly safe are Nargothrond, Menegroth, and Gondolin. Bum, bum, bum. And Gondolin and Nargothrond are really only safe because Morgoth doesn't know where they are. Mm-hmm. And Menegroth is safe because it's hidden behind the girdle of Meliand. Melian, although we keep getting hints and hints and more hints in this chapter that something is going to break through the girdle of Melian and all hell's going to break loose. Mm-hmm. Tolkien is not subtle about his little foreshadowing. No. It's pretty pretty <laughs> it's, obvious. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, that's right, it so, in a nutshell. Yeah, he resumes the battle. Fingen holds for the time being, but. Yeah, I wish... I wish that I could say that this chapter was super gripping because it seems like it would be very exciting. It's all about a battle and then a small fight between two guys and then another battle. But it's not that interesting, truly. It's a lot of names. Yeah, I think like you parts know, we, of it are interesting, but... we talked about in the last episode how places are very Mm -hmm. important and i think i mentioned that in tolkien especially during battles is when you notice how important places are because those are what he chooses to focus on is like where people are scattering to and i think that's what makes this kind of chapter really hard for me to read is because it's not like i have a map next to me i like I like to be able to visualize what yeah. is going on and I don't have, you know, a mental image. I don't have a photographic memory. So I don't have a mental image of that map that we saw two chapters ago. Right. Also not everything's on there anyway. Right. I don't have, I mean, there's a map at the back of the book too that I could look at, but like none of those are burned into my brain. So when he talks about, you know, Oh, Fingelfin and his, you know, troops fleeing to a certain area. I'm like, well, I don't know where that is. So that's hard for me to picture. It's got to keep flipping back to that map. I know. I guess so. Until my pages are literally smoking because I'm (laughs) flipping back and forth to it so much. Be burning like the fields. So, yeah, personally, I found this chapter kind of tough Mm -hmm. despite the fact that it should be really interesting and it might be interesting to some readers but for my kind of reading comprehension it just (laughs) you know it's a hard chapter Mm -hmm. for me to get through but we did but we did and we do have some things to talk about Mm -hmm. uh aaron where do you want to start do you want to start with world war one uh and those descriptions come up pretty early on if we Mm want to kind of start with that um and then go from there that might be good sure yeah so essentially right after we had this debate about whether or not to attack on the 
from the Noldor. Um, we transition to Morgoth's arrival um, in the description. So I'll, I'll just start reading it. Suddenly Morgoth sent forth great rivers of flame that ran down swifter than Balrogs and poured over all the plain and the mountains of iron belched forth fires of many poisonous hues and the fume of them stank upon the air and was deadly. Thus Argalen perished and fire devoured its grasses and it became a burned and desolate waste full of choking dust, barren and lifeless. Thereafter its name was changed and it was called the gasping dust. <laughs> many charred bones had there their roofless grave for many of the Noldor perished in that burning who were caught by the running flame and could not fly to the hills. Mm -hmm. um, and he also talks about how the woods on the, the mountains were all burned. The smoke wrought great confusion. And that, of course, is the battle of sudden flame. So, like, yeah, we have this very, to me, it seems like a very World War One battlefield image of just complete desolation and confusion and terror and mm -hmm. gas attack and everything else. Yeah. And I had that same section highlighted for that oh, exact okay. same reason. I was, as I was reading, I was like, oh, this is mm -hmm. obviously no man's land, mm -hmm. right? Like, this is. It's the song, first time yeah. we kind of get a description that seems to be wholly influenced by, you know, that landscape. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're right, kind of the description of the, I don't know, movement of like, quote, troops, mm -hmm. right, upon that land is also very reminiscent of world war one like you said conf like confusion oh, yeah mm -hmm. right and also just like mass slaughter, slaughter right that's the first time really in history that we see you know sudden mass slaughter mm -hmm. like like we have here as well with the obviously here it's this kind of running flame whereas yep. in uh world war one it's basically a, a machine gun right uh, or artillery or yeah whatever mm -hmm. right uh um any any weapon that can fire multiple rounds at a time really <laughs> um that the you know the germans were using that really kind of confused the french and british for a while yeah they were not adjusting their yeah because tactics accordingly more right. was we see i think here I guess the kind of overarching theme of, you know, war being ungentlemanly. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, we have the mountains of iron that are belching forth like fumes. So mm -hmm. it also has this industrial component too. Yes. Like the machine age kind of yeah. slaughter. Um, it's very yeah. contrary to all the sort of imagery we've had up to this point of like the sort of bucolic kind of place where the, the Doldor are living. Yeah, and I think too, if I think of like other, you know, other kind of genre fiction, fantasy descriptions of if there's like battle or conflict, right? It does seem very much to kind of nod to, you know, sword play and, you know, hand to hand combat. It's, it's, doesn't really right. <laughs> feature like you said this sort of industrial feel this mass slaughter um that really is being highlighted here this does not mm -hmm. feel like the type of battle scene that you would get in 
your traditional sort of genre fic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it even seems different to me than really the Battle of Pelennor Fields in uh-huh. The Return of the King, right? Which does kind of seem much more in line with what we would traditionally get in like a mm-hmm. fantasy battle um where you know you have horsemen versus orcs and everyone's fighting with spears and swords there's much less kind of like industry mm-hmm. um and mechanics behind it i think helm's deep might be a good kind of comparison to this battle um where we see sort of science the science of war going up against maybe a quote unquote more primitive idea of battle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk obviously about that a lot more when we get to that yeah. section, but this, this scene also kind of speaks to that same idea of like, you know, the elves walked in thinking it was one thing and Morgoth just unleashed this absolute fury mm-hmm. on them that was really founded in his kind of science and tinkering and <laughs> mechanical mind yeah which makes the the subsequent one-on-one showdown more interesting to think about mm-hmm. in terms of his reluctance to to emerge mm-hmm. onto the field whereas before he's yeah directing all right. this sort of action and and that's use, a much more traditional kind of he can't use his machines Mm-mm. yeah I mean, he um, does have the hammer of the underworld but yeah and his black uh, armor <laughs> but yeah but he's not comfortable it seems with that confrontation Mm -hmm. yeah which we can talk about too i mean i think if we're looking at sort of big points in this chapter this is the biggest right this is kind of the climax of what happens here is this showdown between Mm -hmm. morgoth and fingolfin um so like we said in the in the summary, you know, Fingolfin sees the Noldor is declining and decides he's going to go finish Morgoth off once and for all. Does not go well. Uh, he dies. Morgoth prevails, but has a limp. Yep. So what is really interesting to me about this section is the cowardice of Morgoth, right? Which we just sort of mentioned. He is very reluctant to mm-hmm. creep out of his dungeons. So, yeah, Morgoth is, like, very scared, does not want to come out and face Fingolfin. Um, but Fingolfin is basically, like, calling, like, taunting him. Mm. Uh, he calls him Craven. He came alone to Ironbad's gates, and he sounded his horn and smote once more upon the brazen doors and challenged Morgoth to come forth to single combat. And Morgoth came. An incredible sentence. Uh, that was the last time in those wars that he passed the doors of his stronghold, and it is said that he took not the challenge willingly, for though he was the greatest of all things in this world, alone of the Valar he knew fear, but he could not deny the challenge before the face of his captains, for the rocks rang with the shrill music of Fingolfin's horn, and his voice came keen and clear down into the depths of Angband. Now I'm doing it. And ah. Fingolfin named Morgoth Craven and Lord of Slaves. Therefore, Morgoth came. So yeah, Morgoth does not want to fight this fight. But it's not because he doesn't want to fight this fight. He is just a coward. He seems weak. Mm -hmm. And I think that is kind of the point that Tolkien is trying to make 
by portraying him as being, you know, afraid to yeah. come out of his little Hiding fortress on. and and fight. Mm-hmm. He only wins because Pingo Finn gets tired. Yeah. Just wear the other guy out. Mm-hmm. No one wants to watch. No one wants to watch that. It's boring. Right. It's not a it's and again, it's not a glamorous no. fight, right? No. Just like the big battles. There's no yeah. there's no glamour to it at all. No, we actually see very little of it. Yeah, we know that Morgoth rends the ground with Grand. Uh, don't know how I got that phrase out of my mouth on a Friday evening. She did. And yeah, Fingolfin gets tired and mm-hmm. they smite, they smite one another, but there's yeah, there's no real kind of glory in it. No. On either side. No. No. And obviously, you know, Morgoth is the quote, like victor, but the kind of um I don't I don't even know the right word. But I guess the glorification of Fingolfin after mm-hmm. right the battle really kind of portrays him more as the kind of moral yeah victor Correct. and because morgoth doesn't win anything right right like he defeated fingolfin but he doesn't gain any knowledge he doesn't gain any territory it's a completely it's a use like, yeah. yeah it's a useless victory for him all mm-hmm. he got was some scratches Bum on his foot. tootsies and <laughs> seven wounds it is interesting that we're told that basically nobody talks about it after it happens. Yeah. The orcs don't brag about it. Yep. And the elves don't sing about it because right. they're too sad. They're too sad. And the orcs, I guess, maybe realize it as yeah. kind of an embarrassing victory right. for Morgoth, right? It seems to be, yeah, or that it's not definitely not something to be celebrated. Yeah. There I will say, in terms of battlefield details, the shaping of Middle Earth does a much better job. Up. no really um yeah in earlier drafts <clears throat> there's i don't know if there's like a ton more but there's definitely like more descriptors um like we get the name of fingolfin's sword ringill mm. Uh, his shield was the star on a blue field that was his device, but Morgoth's shield was black without a blazon, and its shadow was like a thundercloud. He fought with a mace like a great hammer of his forges. Grand, the orcs called it, and when it smote the earth, a Spinglefin slipped aside, a pit yawned, and smoke came forth. <laughs> um, thus was Fingolfin overcome, for the earth was broken about his feet, and he tripped and fell. And Morgoth uh. put his foot that is heavy as a ring of hill or as the roots of hills upon his neck. But this was not done before Ringle had given him seven wounds, and at each he cried aloud. Um, and then if you go down uh, more, we actually learn he gets another owie. Oh. But the scar upon his face, Fingolfin oh, yes, did right. not give. This was the work of Thorndor, for Morgoth took the body of Fingolfin to hew it and give it to his wolves. But Thorndor swept down from on high amid the very throngs and smote his claw into the face of Morgoth. Um, so it's, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like a ton more, but we do get a few yeah. more just like, you know, Fingolfin slipped into one of these pits. Right. Right. And that's what, yeah. Right. It's not like Morgoth 
had any sort of skill that he didn't have. He just bad luck. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it's an interesting, it's an interesting chapter in terms of like, you know, the fact that the battle itself is really, I mean, what does it accomplish? Like, you know, scatters everybody to the winds. Mm -hmm. But again, like you said at the beginning, Tolkien makes a point to say that Morgoth struck too soon and can't defeat his, you know, foes. And then in this single combat, he also, you know, kind of just defeats his foe by dumb luck and not really because he's powerful or incredibly skilled. Um, so Fingolfin is dead and I want to talk about the Elvish afterlife. What do you think about the Elvish afterlife? Because a lot of elves are actually dead. (laughs) That's true. Their bones are uh, under the sky. Yeah. So elves can die. Spoiler alert. (laughs) We've seen it happen a few times already. And the Elvish afterlife is, of course, confusing. (laughs) Tell us more. Um, Okay, so elves die and their spirits go to the halls of Mandos. So their physical form, except in the case of Feanor, typically, you know, just like a human, we die, our bodies are here. Any, if you believe in this sort of thing, spirit leaves your body, either reincarnates, goes to an afterlife, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Else it's kind of the same. Okay. But they die. They go to the halls of Mandos. Um, and then they make a choice. They can either hang out there for the rest of their days or they can be reincarnated. That's the simple way okay. <laughs> to describe it. Um, of course, there's some very <laughs> fun mechanics that go along with it. That Tolkien talks about. In, <laughs> in the, the nature of the earth. Um, yeah. So Elvish reincarnation. He has a whole chapter. Of course. <laughs> so I'm going to just start. There is a note. This is. Um, yeah. Tolkien wrote this. Some point. Uh, they think around 1959. And this is the conversation of Manwe with Eru concerning the death of elves and how it might be redressed with the comments of the Eldar added. Manwe spoke to Eru saying, Behold, an evil appears in Arda that we did not look for. Thy firstborn children, whom thou madest immortal, suffer now severance of spirit and body. Many of the fair of the elves in Middle-earth are now houseless, and even in Amman there is one. The houseless we summon to Amon to keep them from the darkness. So they Mandos, right? Mm-hmm. And all we and all who hear our voice abide there in waiting. What further is to be done? Is there no means by which their lives be, may be renewed to follow the courses which thou hast designed? And what of the bereaved who mourn those who have gone? Eru answered, let the houseless be rehoused. Wow. There is an exclamation point. Mawai asked, how shall this be done? Arrow answered, let the body that was destroyed be remade, or let the naked Feia be reborn as a child. Mm. Okay, so essentially, their physical form 
can be recrafted and they're fed, which is just their spirit. I'm mm-hmm. called their spirit soul essentially can be reconstituted into this fully grown reformed body. Okay. Or it can be reconstituted into an unborn child. However, <laughs> not quite as simple. Okay. Because Manwe makes the point to say that like, are you going to do this arrow? <laughs> because we can't. Like, we're not allowed to meddle like that. Uh-huh. Um, and Arrow basically says, I like, he gives the Valar leave to reconstitute a spirit into a remade body. Okay. Because that body is essentially what they were when they were living. So, like, it's not really... It's not really, like, making them into a new person or like giving Mm -hmm, them a chance mm -hmm. to be a new person right it's just kind of they can kind of just continue on the same trajectory that they were on yeah but if a spirit wants to be reborn as a child as a baby eru has to do that okay for whatever reason because i guess a new person because it's a new yeah that's my guess because it's a new person that's going to grow and could possibly you know change the course of human events Mm -hmm. as it Mm -hmm. grows and learns and goes out into the world eru has to be the one to decide that the spirit can be reconstituted and he will like chat essentially says like i'll have a chat (laughs) with the spirit (laughs) and then like you know put them into a baby (laughs) is like the simple way of describing (laughs) that um i mean sure yeah makes sense gotta tell the baby what's up um So that is kind of how elvish reincarnation works. So not every elf is reincarnated. Most are not. Um, typically they are if it is convenient for Tolkien, as is the case of Glorfindel. That's that is correct. the elf in the fellowship who does appear in the Silmarillion and then dies and is in the fellowship of the ring, bearing Frodo to Rivendell. It's Glorfindel. And Tolkien basically uses this argument to say, you know, he was He's back. reincarnated, yeah. but most elves don't choose that option. They wow. just go to the halls of Mandos. And I mean, this is only if they die, right? right? Their spirits go an elf can choose to go to Mandos at any point in time. If they just grow weary of the world and like, essentially it's like their retirement home. But that's kind of the long and short of it. I felt this was probably a good time to kind of clear up the uh, foggies on that because, yeah, some elves are elves are dying here, their left and right. Their bones are under the sky. That's right, forevermore. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to take a little break and then we can sure. come back and let's do chat it about some more elf death? <laughs> yeah, we'll be right back. back 
We've talked about death. We've talked about cowardice. And now it's time to talk about time. Time. (laughs) Yeah. So not specific to this chapter, really, but this is something I've been noodling about for a while. Sure. And I thought, why the hell not? Because this chapter is full of battles and death. Why not talk about relationship between time and lifespan, maybe, in this book? Um, So I was thinking about the question of, like, time and duration. Okay. There's two separate things in this universe. Um, So thinking about elves and men, we talked a little bit about this, I think, last week or two weeks or two episodes ago when we talked about the elves and the men. This just got me thinking about it. But basically that they have different experiences of time in history because obviously mm-hmm. the men are mortal. They live mm-hmm. a long time at this point still, but yeah, like 300 mortal. years, but yeah. yeah, they're still gonna die. Yeah. They're still gonna die. They're still aware of it. We're told it again in this chapter actually it comes up again. Like we can't wait to fight this war because we'll be old or dead <laughs> yep. by now. Like that's literally a line from this, this section with the elves who like still quite don't quite get mortality. I don't yeah. think no. or what it means to be immortal. Um, but basically we're dealing with like drastically different timescales and historical frameworks between mm-hmm. the two of them. So like what's interesting to me is that the book seems to be constructing kind of, we have calendar time, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we don't have sort of a universal time scale in the same way as a modern concept of a universal time scale would be. In other words, you don't have, you know, Greenwich mean time. Like sure. you don't have a mechanical way of tracking it. It's not exact. It, it does seem to be, more felt and more linked to the natural world than mm-hmm. like counting it out. Sure. That makes sense. So no clocks and gondolas. No, there's no clocks. We don't have sort of this like evenly measurable thing all mm-hmm. the time. Like dates crop up when they appear to be relevant or passages of time mm-hmm. are mentioned when they're relevant, but it's not part of sort of the everyday experience of the elves. I don't think. Right. Like that's something that's maybe inserted. Mm-hmm right into yeah. this quote history right because what is right. history without a time chronology scale? right you yeah. need some sort of organizing principle if you're mm-hmm. setting out to write a history you need some sort of yeah way of measuring things but it's not yeah it's not railway time <laughs> um which tolkien's hatred of trains uh notwithstanding makes sense um so i guess i was just thinking about too again, the sort of connection between elves, men, and Middle Earth and how they all have sort of different relationships to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess basically what I'm trying to figure out is, is if this is a history mm-hmm. and if we are assuming, which I think we are, that it's from the perspective of the elves, mm-hmm. given this history, yeah, how are they kind of establishing time? Because we have ages, which are these sort of vast epochs that we have set aside. Mm-hmm. And then we have time within them that passes. But if it's more grounded in experience than sort of measurement, or I guess maybe the thing I'm thinking about is it's less manipulated than like our concept of time now. Like there's no daily savings. There's no attempt to sort of rejigger time timeline to like fit with the fact that the sun doesn't mm-hmm. you know we don't always take 365 days exactly to get around it sure so we have a, a thing called a leap year so there's like this less attention to manipulating time in a way that's mechanical and scientific and measurable and more of a sense of like natural rhythms or something that seems to be guiding this calendar that we're working with 
and also defined by events maybe because you said like dates only become important when important things happen right but they're not even dates yeah it's I just mean, like years point, or something we don't have dates maybe like it's been seven years or it's been 400 years or it's been yeah like there's no kind of i mean dates become relevant with in lord of the rings right. which is interesting yeah. i guess <laughs> if we bizarre. if we want to think right like kind of how like quote progress is being mm-hmm. made right all of a sudden mm-hmm. we do have a calendar and the whole world more or less seems to seems be to operating right on that same calendar um so and like what why is that suddenly important right in the trilogy right is it just and to what, like set us closer to the present day maybe i truly don't know why okay. like we have suddenly this yeah like you know like march it's march right it's the they year. leave in yeah. september they get to uh they get to mount doom in march uh they yeah. throw the ring in like people love to say like oh it's the feast of the mm-hmm. assumption ascension i don't honestly what's don't ask me the annunciation who even <laughs> knows it's one of those a's one of those merry i holidays. think it's the annunciation okay because March would be nine months before. Yeah, that would make sense. December. Yeah, the annunciation. Yeah. Anyway, we know, like, we know <laughs> it's March 25th or whatever. Right. Like, that's the date that it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, why exactly we have, like, you know, entire six months? We know that Frodo's journey yeah. takes roughly six months. Like why? Why is that right? Important? Why is it so? Although it is incredible to think about that he's taken the effort to situate um, it that way. But like here, we're just moving through these vast spans yeah. of years, and like occasionally making a pit stop or doubling back, or like we're not moving through a strict chronology either. Mm-hmm. There's all these and- sort of switchbacks in the in the narrative. I think you need to borrow the nature of Middle Earth because he he legitimately has a chapter in here called Time Scales. All right. He does talk about like the Eldar perceive time differently. They do mm. like perceive it differently than men they because to, right? their lifespan is mm-hmm. so long. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is why we start to get like actual dates in Lord of the Rings. Okay. Because, right. right, we're kind of turning now towards more like the world of Finite. men, right? They, right, as humans who don't live as long, we would be much more aware, concerned with counting years, mm-hmm. right? We're essentially counting years until we die right. because we know that our lifespan is on average, you know, X amount of years. We're going to count those so that we know that in 80 years we're going to be dead or we could be dead soon right right so that is a very if you really think about it like that's a very human concern whereas if you live forever what would even what be the matter? point of counting a year right right um because it's so he says that like um 
As the elders say of themselves, when persons are fully occupied in things of deep natural concern and of delight to them and are in great bliss and health, time seems to pass quickly and not the reverse. Mm -hmm. My new enjoyment and appreciation of events and thoughts in the time series does not, as might be supposed, make time seem longer as might a road or path that was minutely inspected. Um, for that inspection could only be carried out by slowing the rate of normal time travel, but the rate of normal progress through time cannot be slowed, but the speed of thought and action can be quickened Uh, so as to achieve more in a given mm -hmm. space of time. So Mm -hmm. for elves, time actually appears to go faster because they are so, they're active, they're thoughtful, they're always thinking and creating and doing and living essentially. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, Time flies when you're having fun, basically, <laughs> is the welcome to Arda. <laughs> oh my God. Where else um, <laughs> is kind of what Tolkien is saying okay. here, right? Like things take longer. He talks in the same chapter about like the gestation period of elves, which can take years. Um, and their like growth to maturity doesn't take, quote, years. But then once they reach maturity, they're at that point for a long time. So time really does like bend and kind of flux mm-hmm. depending on where an elf is in his or her lifespan. Okay. Whereas humans move through time, I think much more at like a kind of constant steady pace you know, an elf could have years where it feels like they're just years kind of Mm. in in scare quotes here where they're just like flying through time. I mean, Tolkien really is getting into some like deep and interesting concepts Mm. of the way time is perceived. Yes. Um, But in terms of measurement to kind of go back to the simple kernel that you're talking about here in terms of measurement of time, why would an elf need to do that? I don't know. Right. I mean, I, I mean, it appears just for the nature of telling us narrative like this. Right. And again, even then we're only getting huge yeah, they're like really time <laughs> stamps, right? It's like 500 really years past, an age past. Well, mm. what the hell is that? Excuse mean? you. An age past since when also? If you want the specifics, again, buy yourself a copy of the nature of Middle Earth. Do you get because Tolkien does break it down. <laughs> But truly, if you can understand it, um, I'll pay you $10 because uh, it is, I mean, honestly, at parts, incomprehensible. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't have anything further to say about time right now <laughs> at this time. And that's that, everybody. Now we're going to talk about the swarthy men. Yeah, I think we have to. Alas, yeah, Aaron, we must rip the bandaid off and, take and it speak away. of the swarthy men. So they're going to come up again and again. This is not yep. the last we'll see of them, but this Unfortunately. is Unfortunately. This is the first descriptive mention of them, right? We've heard about the men of the east, I think, maybe. Yeah, point, I think but... we I think we heard about them in the coming of 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 men chapter. Yeah. Um but it yeah, wasn't quite unf- as... like like you said, this isn't Oh, this isn't the last time we're going to hear no. about them. It's the last time we want to have to talk about them, unfortunately. I mean, I think probably gonna have to bring them up again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but maybe we can talk about most of the things we need to talk about now and just not have to revisit it. Yep. Um, in the future, so I guess I'll read it. I don't know. Should I? Yeah. To okay. quote Tolkien, go ahead. 
we're quoting Tolkien here is what I mean. All right. So this is in the midst of all the fighting and the chaos. We are told, quote, it is told that at this time, and this, these two words are capitalized also, by the way. At this time, the swarthy men came first into Beleriand. Yep. Some were already secretly under the dominion of Morgoth and came at his call, but not all. For the rumors of Beleriand with its lands and waters of its wars and riches went now far and wide, and the wandering feet of men were ever set westward in those days. These men were short and broad, long and strong in arm. Their skins were swart or sallow, and their hair was dark as were their eyes. Their houses were many, and some had greater liking for the dwarves of the mountains than for the elves. So that is our introduction to the Swarthy Men. Yep. Tolkien makes sure that in the very first part of that first sentence, he does say that Mm -hmm. some of them were already Mm -hmm. under the sway of Morgoth, right? It's not that some were good. Yeah. And then some were under the sway of Morgoth. No, that's like the first, like Mm -hmm. the first little nugget we get about them, right? So if we want to really close read that description, Tolkien's Mm-hmm. like not painting them in a great light no. at first and then saying oh some of them aren't bad but just so you know right. <laughs> and it's also it's before after we're told that he tries the same kind of whispering with the other men that are here this is after okay. so yeah one so thing we didn't really well. one thing we didn't really mention our description it's significant but it's just like a detail is that essentially like Morgoth mm-hmm. will capture elves and men and then he will send them back out into the world and they're essentially his his little spies. And so this is one way that he really kind of like sows discord because now nobody trusts each other because mm-hmm. if a kind of wandering member of either race stumbles into you know, the city or the company of the others, they are immediately distrustful because if they don't know you, you are probably one of Morgoth's minions. Right. Right. And so he's been trying to turn the men Mm -hmm. to his side, essentially, and they refuse. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're we're informed of that detail before this, which I think is significant given the fact that it seems like he's having better luck with the Swarthy men. Uh Um, So that goes to your point about how they're introduced um not not all of them weren't you know weren't right. under the, the, the dominion um so right away we're kind of being led to view them not not so promising light right surely. um and the i mean i think the description the further physical description doesn't improve nope. the situation from there nope. um we have a yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Isn't going to also sound offensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, truly, it is just a. It's. <laughs> it, it's it's like, an upsetting choice on Tolkien's part. Right, <laughs> but it it's not surprising given given his reading background, both as a medievalist mm-hmm. and as just like a young person who read books in the Victorian period. Yes, right. Um, because I'm thinking of things like. John Mandeville's mm-hmm. travels where he writes about crazy creatures he finds in the East. Like the East mm-hmm. is always this place of extreme 
difference that's both mm-hmm. exotified and also terrifying right or, or dangerous or, yeah or deceptive yeah. like dracula comes from the east right it's, um, yeah it's both alluring and repulsive mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. same time is kind mm-hmm. of the uh dual tug of the east for britain right. in like the victorian right. age and really like most of europe western yeah. europe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sure Right. Um, it's like simultaneously sexualized, but mm-hmm. also like very like it's like it's abject too though, right? It's yeah. gross. It's also it's like this weird mix of desire, but also a source of like yeah. horror and yeah. Disgust. Right. Desire both. and repulsion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's both very bodily, but also um, I'm trying to think what the other word for it would be. Like it's a bodily sort of desire and repulsion, but it's also mm-hmm. kind of like a it has a very physical component, mm-hmm. like on a very like physical level, but also yes. sort of this like intellectual level sure. too, where it becomes a fascination in that sense. So like mm-hmm. not sexual fascination, but like a just like an interest in difference. Mm-hmm. Yes, as something yeah. that's like worth kind of obsessing over and cataloging and measuring. Yeah, I was gonna say obsession, really like obsession mm-hmm. with difference. Yeah. So I just want to. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how to like stress the the two kind of impulses. Yeah, I mean, I think saying like a like a physical versus intellectual like draw is is as good as we're gonna get (laughs) on this podcast on a Friday night. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I I think I mean it makes sense that he would draw on this because there is sort of a tradition. Mm -hmm. Like it's a it's a symbol that carries weight culturally. Yeah. Like he can say this and people know. Right. Oh, the East. Right. Mm -hmm. Right um they're different mm-hmm. different is bad and scary um yeah. so it, yeah it's unfortunate because i think a lot in a lot of other ways this book has been very smart about cultural contact yeah um but i think it reveals the the limits of the framework in which he's thinking about cultural contact like he's thinking about the normans of any britain he's right. not thinking about british people in rhodesia right right we were just th- we we're just talking you know in our last recording about um, Aeol and like his, mm. you know, commentary about the Noldor and how Tolkien actually probably was speaking a little bit through Aeol about, yes. you know, his thoughts on their taking of their land, et cetera, et cetera. And how you're right. That is kind of a savvy take uh, <laughs> on, <laughs> on, you know, colonialism, colonialism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. This seems like, several steps backwards in terms Mm -hmm. of right and especially when you think of his own like very early childhood as a colonizer right he was born and spent not i mean he only spent a few years of his life in south africa but it Mm -hmm. actually like really did influence his Mm -hmm. his kind of views of I mean, a lot of like descriptions that he has um, of landscape are really yes. influenced by the South African, um, you know, um, the geography. Or, yeah. yeah, the belt. Um, and and so, you know, you can kind of understand. Mm-hmm. I don't even. I mean, you can't really understand, but like you right. can see why his he's like influenced to have this really fraught sort of description as of like an other right Mm -hmm. i mean because really that's what these these men are they're immediately othered by their draw to morgoth and their physical Mm -hmm. description because we don't have really 
like a physical description uh, in the book so far of the other men, right? Like we have, we have it in other places, mm. um, but not yet here. And if we do, there are specific men. Whereas mm-hmm. here we have, I mean, the Sword of the Men are not too different from the orcs in terms of well, how they're whole, described to us. Whole lines, technically, like it's like the House of Hador, right? Is like blonde, and the and House of Aeor yeah, is dark haired and dark, right? But they're all very pale and tall, and <laughs> yeah. And they're at least named roughly. They're individualized a bit more. Yeah. I mean, he does give names of individual swarthy men. Um, But again, he does this really unflattering thing Mm. where he will say like the sons of Bor and Borlach, Borlach and Borthond, and they followed Maethros and Maglor and cheated the hope of Morgoth and were faithful. The sons of Olfang the Black were Olfast and Olwarth and Aldar and Aldor the Accursed, and they followed Carinthir and swore allegiance to him and proved faithless. So, like, he again makes this point of drawing the distinction between, like, okay, yes, there were some that were faithful, but right. also there are some that were faithless. And when we get kind of those conversations about the interactions of the other men with elves, yeah, we don't have that same kind of right attention like, to right to their kind of quote lack which which he's paying attention to here so it is i mean it's going to come up again in the trilogy unfortunately this is just like a gross thing that tolkien did i mean we can't explain we can't (laughs) explain it away right it's no it's not worth right we can we can go so far as to say it was likely informed by again this kind of orientalist views mm-hmm. of the victorian age um his upbringing in mm-hmm. you know a colonial region of africa but you know we're not going to we're not going to try to paint him in a good light no <laughs> in regards to this no can't. I, you know i <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he has his blind spots. I mean, everybody does. Right. This is clearly a big one for him, right. but because elsewhere, he he's aware of the issues that are at the center of this question, but mm-hmm. it's a question of sort of seeing it. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I wonder, too, if this is just like him lazily kind of using a simple descriptor to convey meaning, which seems out of character. But Right. But I don't know. It's odd that he chooses this very kind of... Um, well, and I think too that they Trope. come from the east, right? Like, yeah, yeah, like you know, if you're like, oh, they came from the west or the north, like even that might seem better. But the fact that he yeah, has the swarthy men from the east, and then in the in the uh, trilogy is the Haradrim from the south, mm-hmm. like you know, ooh, mm-hmm. it's mean. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. You didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, it's not great, especially when he makes a big point about how this is our planet, just in an earlier right stage right so yeah so we'll talk about it again i'm sure but probably not yeah not for a while but obviously it needs to be addressed i don't think no i don't want to gloss over it i don't think we can call ourselves a uh you know a good podcast a good a good lord of the rings slash silmarillion slash tolkien verse podcast if Mm -hmm. we tried to pretend that just didn't exist um, should we move on to something a little more fun? Yeah. All right. What do you got? 
Uh, we're going to do a new section, a new mm-hmm. segment this week. It's called Casting Call. Uh, if you were going to make a movie of Silmarillion, who would you Boy. cast? <laughs> uh, we think this is fun because yeah. we have cast a few characters so far, I believe. Uh, two episodes ago, Aaron did cast Ricardo Montalban as Feanor. I did. Um, I stand by that one. Linda Ronstadt as Luthien. (laughs) (laughs) Forever be in my mind. And Dolly Parton as Idril. (laughs) That was your casting. Yes, those are my casting. The queens of country folk uh, actually living in Middle Earth. So I have a... I have have one. I have one for this week. Who you got? Okay. This is going to be controversial, I think. Uh Only because of the specific film that I'm thinking of. Okay. uh, That this, like, person is in that I picture. Okay. So, Fingolfin. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Beardless Liam Neeson in The Phantom Menace. (laughs) Holy shit. That is very specific. But right? But you can see it. I can see it. Yeah. I can <laughs> Absolutely. See it. I mean, he's tall. He's got, got the long hair long with the braid. Hair, the ponytail. Like yeah. I think it I think it works, but elves can't have beards. No. So um, okay. So he's got to shave first. So he does have but to he can, shave. He, he can use the same wig. But yeah, that is a very it's a very specific Liam Neeson look, but he's a man of many looks over the years. Yeah. Uh and I, yeah. I could see it. Maybe a little blonder. Yeah, probably. A little lighter. You have to, have to henna wash his, his yeah, wig. His, his wig, but... Uh, or extensions. Yeah, I don't know what they did. He might have just grown his hair. I mean, he was yeah, young maybe. enough. He, that's true. He might have just grown his hair at that point. If you're Liam Neeson you're listening to this pod, yes. Please, please email us, us and tell us what you did with your hair in The Phantom Menace. Well, my casting choice this week is for Young Hot Sauron. Oh yes. Which I'm is going he hot? with. He's not hot Sauron yet. Oh well, he wasn't. Oh well, that's fine. When I was reading this, as he sat <laughs> upon his tower. And... Aaron is picturing hot Sauron. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not quite yet, but I see where he's going to be. See, I like where your head's at. He's going to be, and I think the voice is the same. Okay. For this person, I'm, so I'm going to see I'm Aaron. Aaron is a lot. I'm going to have Google ready to go because you are much more of like a film. It's not person. obscure. It's not an obscure person. I okay. It's, it's not. I will. <laughs> like, I can I absolutely guarantee Aaron will get obscure and I'm going to be like, who yeah, is I just that? don't know who that is. <laughs> no, okay. I'm going with Hit me. a very young, well, not very young, but young. So like, I'm thinking like diehard three days, Jeremy Irons for Sauron. It's the voice mostly. Sure. But oh, he's also yeah. kind of like that's very good. He's also like kind of like rugged in a in- intimidating way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think he ever smiles. No, and he's great <laughs> as uh, Scar in Lion King. Yeah. So he's got that sort of Shakespearean thing going on too. Uh, yeah, he's good. That's good. That's my choice. If you are reading along with us uh-huh. and have any casting calls, we would absolutely love to hear them. Please yeah, who would let you us know. Who love would you to cast? See. Any, any literally character. anybody, Could any character, crazily anybody character. in pop culture. They do yeah. not have to be an actor Mm-mm. or an actress. Mm-mm. They can be anybody who is in the zeitgeist. 
Um, do we have any MVPs this week? Oh boy. Well, Aaron's got I, one. I can see it in his lies. I actually, yeah, I debated about this one because we get a lot yeah. of names. And we get so many names. So and many. I think the logical one oh, is like Fingelfin, right? He goes yeah, and he, he goes fights. and fights uh but that's dumb. Oh, it's, well, it's too easy. <laughs> right. You see. We know he's the MVP. He's yeah. flashy about it. <laughs> he's a show off. So who do you have? Oh, okay. So I was debating between. Well, I wanted to give it to the Eagles as like a group. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, <laughs> the Eagles. The Eagles. The Eagles. The band. Don Henley. <laughs> uh, Joe Walsh. And uh, that's right. Glenn Fry. No, I was going to give it to the King of the Eagles. He comes in, he rescues the body. He yeah. slashes his face. Like, That's it's just a right. cool moment. Yeah. The MVP is more based on cool moment. Because, like, there's just a lot going on. There's I so guess. much going on. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we've got Thorindor, King of the Eagles, mm-hmm. face slasher himself. Mm-hmm. Body snatcher, face slasher. That's right. <laughs> Mama, Papa coming for you. I thought you were going more like uh, Pat Benatar, but oh yeah, that's also or yeah, that would have worked too. Nora, body snatcher, face fl- fl- slasher, <laughs> and I can't, I truly can't finish that's that melody. Okay. If you can, let us know. <laughs> yeah, leave us a message. Um. Okay. I also had an M- an MVP that was not Finkelfin. Nice. I wanted it to be Maethros because of that very cool description oh, of yeah. him. But it's actually Emildir the Manhearted. Oh. Emildir the Manhearted is the wife of Barahir. And she gathers together all the women and children that are left right. in their little settlement. She gives them arms if they can bear them. And she leads them through the mountains that lay behind until they are received into Haladin or the people of Galdor. Very we've cool. Got an, we've got another lady she's, yeah, I was gonna say, she's who will like, not be daunted. And I love it. I really love it. She's like, um, is it Halleth? Yeah, Halleth. Yeah. I mean, I hate that she has to be described as the man-hearted. Um, well, yeah. She's just a lady. And we can do whatever we want. <laughs> man-hearted or not. <laughs> yeah we can lead our people but she's another very cool female character who uh really i mean really i think especially with the like her and halleth we see this kind of care for community Mm -hmm. um really developing with these female characters and i don't think it really goes anywhere but i do think there's sort of this emphasis on like the men are off fighting and you know really they're quite scattered they're often Mm. just like not home whereas the women here and earlier on in this book have like really rallied their communities around them and been the ones who actually protect and save them right so yeah she's my mvp nice it's a good pick i think that's it it yeah i think we did it we're about to move on to baron and luthien inverse But if you want, I think it's easier to get a handle on the thread of the thing if you read the Silmarillion version. Yes, and there are some snippets of the verse in that version. Um, If you also want to read, there is the full Lay of Lethean Mm -hmm. in the Lays of Beleriand, which is another book 
Um, the <laughs> another. Sorry, book... I'm laughing because we both have that book now, right? Yes, we do. Yeah. Um, the uh, Baron and Luthien that was published in the mid 2000s and was edited by Christopher Tolkien mm-hmm. is kind of a compilation of many stories um, about Baron and Luthien and really shows the evolution of the tale uh, kind of in Tolkien's mind. It's really, really interesting uh, if you can get your hands on it. But again, like Aaron said, if you can't, absolutely you're there. fine to read the chapter i believe there's a pdf of the mm, lay of Lydian, just like on the internet um or it's as i said it's Library. in the lays it's in the lays of land do not get it from the high cuyahoga county public library <laughs> otherwise i will come find you and wrest that hold from your grip <laughs> wow wow <laughs> because i have it right now and if you put a hold on it i cannot renew it this podcast will end i mean there's a delay on when we release this, Clarice. You have time to read it before someone would even be thinking. You never know. About I'm a slow reader, Aaron. We've well, talked about this. That does it for us. Yeah. As always, please feel free to contact us. The contact info is in the episode description, yep. so I will not bore you by rattling it off. Please send us your casting calls. Please send us any MVPs. And as always, send us any questions, comments, or corrections that you might have. Um, We would truly love to hear them and be so, so grateful um, to hear what you think. So uh, continue listening, continue reading. And until then, we will talk to you later. Bye-bye. Can do stuff now, and you're gonna have to learn how to deal with that.